Okay, we uh, get ready to uh, study our word for the day, and uh, this is covering the ages, the uh, war of the ages, I guess you could uh, detail it as, since the time that Lucifer fell from heaven, there has been war. And uh, it's an ongoing conflict between Satan and God in this universe. I guess you could say it's a cosmic conflict. This is really what you could call Star Wars. And uh, it sits through the whole universe. Many of these battles also find themselves in the theater of planet Earth. And in fact, this great warfare is all about the Earth, ultimately. Uh, Satan uh, thinks he controls it, uh, the earth, the air. He's the prince of the power of the air. The earth becomes the featured center of our battles in Revelation. That's what make up the, makes up this war. That means mankind, men and women, are on one side or the other in this war, in this conflict. It's been going on for thousands of years and it will come to the climax during the Great Tribulation. It's been building up thousands of years. That's when Satan will gather his greatest forces. And we've seen where you have demonic uh, demons, I guess you could say, that come out of the earth by the literal millions. 200 million come out. We're talking the abyss in the pits. And they join the ones that are here. What a force that he's going to have for a short period. And the war will be all over the universe like never before or ever after. And I want to tell you, because what we looked at last week, it's good to know that God will reign forever and ever. Because Satan is trying everything that he can to stop that to happen. But we know we, in last week's message, we were in chapter 11 of Revelation at verse 15 where it says that He will take the kingdom. The kingdom of this earth will transfer back into the hands of God. And we know that the seventh trumpet is blown at that time. Now it's interesting, we don't see the details happen in chapter 11. Uh, after the seventh trumpet. And you don't see it in chapter 12 or 13 or 14. Get that in mind. Because it will be chapter 15 that will continue on from where we were at in uh, Revelation 11. And it then will show how those battles go on. It would seem like we were at the end where we were at last week. If God is all in all and He has the kingdom then it's like, what else is there left? Well, it's written because we know who the winner is. Of course, we already know that, but to the writer John and to anyone else that's be, be reading this passage, they would say, this just seems to go on and on in the tribulation. But he says, God will reign. No doubt about it. So, this section is going to take us all the way back before we were created. Mankind was created. 
It's going to take us back to the fall of Satan and sweep through all of time and history all the way up to just before Christ comes back. That's a long period. And we're going to cover that in six verses, folks. (laughs) Get a kick out of that one. Um, All the way back into the time that Satan fell. So, chapters 12 through 14, we're going to be looking at Satan's perspective. In 6 through 11, it was God's judgments. But God uses people, He uses demons, the devil, to complete His plan. That's how much in control He is, and doesn't that relieve a lot of you from any kind of anxiety or worry when you look at all of these passages in Revelation? Because we already know that He wins. If you're watching a football game, you don't know who wins. You know you are rooting for somebody, but you don't know who wins. Unless you saw it the day before at the stadium and you're watching a replay and your team won and it was a great game and it had a great finish. And it's like when you're watching it, you already know what's going to happen even though it looks like your team is losing right now. And you go, it's okay. We win. So you feel a lot better about that. Now, probably not a lot of football fans here, so you know, or baseball or anything else for that matter, but there's things you root for. You wish that would happen, but there are things that you know that are going to happen. Usually those things are what's written in Scripture, and that's really what we know for certainty, right? So that is what that's about. All of Lucer, right up now back to the time of the Great Tribulation. By the time that we get to 15, we will pick up where the seventh trumpet was blowing and there would be judgments just before Christ comes up, the very last seven bold judgments. So it's a sweep. Satan has been trying, as he has rebelled, to unseat God from His throne that is to come to thwart His purposes. That's what has all been about down through the ages. Satan hates God. We know that. It's obvious. And he does everything possibly that he can do to thwart the very plan of God. First, he attempted to destroy the paradise of heaven. And he led a mutiny against God and His angels. And we know that a third of the angels then fell with Satan. Then he tempted to destroy the paradise that was on earth. And there you had Adam and Eve, and then of course the first sin. All of us will have seen what it is in the past. And we say that's what's written. What is to come? And here we have this too. It will all culminate in a climactic effort of Satan trying to still unseat God. And he's had a long war against God, hasn't he? This is the consummation that we're looking at here today. It's right before our very eyes. Now, there are key characters in chapters 12, 13, and 14. We're only going to cover six verses today in 12. Three characters are... The woman, Satan, or the dragon, and the child. 
And of course, we will go through that, get the meaning of it, and sweep through all of mankind's history. Wow, I can't think of any time where you could have a message that covers thousands of years like that. But we will look at these three today. There will be three more in the rest of the chapters, 12 through 14. Michael will take up also as a key character as we look at it next week in our text. So this one's called Woman, Child, and the Dragon. So let's pick up our Bibles, and uh, we are in Revelation 12, starting at verse 1. Yeah, go ahead and let's honor God's Word. Let's stand. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Let's pray. Father, you've given us a lot of signs, symbols here, but we know behind those signs and symbols is a reality. And to us, we realize that you are writing this ultimately. You are speaking this. John just records it and we read it 2,000 years later. What a joy it is, Lord, to be able to open your word up now and to be able to understand a little bit more of what the revelation of Jesus Christ is and the kind of war that's been going on for thousands of years. And whether we like it or not, we're in it. But whose side are we on? That's what counts. Help us by your Spirit to give us a little more understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> a great sign appeared in heaven. A sign is just that. Sign is something that is pointing to something. Uh, you have a Jeff City City Limits sign outside on Highway 50, and it tells you you are now entering the city limits. It's really what it's saying. That's not the city itself, but it's pointing to a reality. So behind signs are realities. So when you see a dragon... You know, even though Satan is much more than a dragon, he obviously is a spiritual being, but it's representing what a 
all the things that a dragon is, plus many, many more things. It's a symbol of what is real. The woman here in these verses is going to be symbolic of a reality. So it says, a great sign. The word for great is, again, mega. And we like to use that term today as, you know, mega means huge, big, extraordinarily, uh, it's massive. A great sign. This really means something. Check this out. And John is seeing this and he's overwhelmed by this woman. And so then the next thing we ask is, okay, who is the woman? So, you know, it's been suggested by a lot of people, a lot of different interpretations of this. And we're here to get understanding the duty of a pastor is to cut the Scripture straight. To make a furrow. To make it understandable. Really what my duty is, is to make it easy to understand. Ooh, this is a hard text, isn't it? All these signs and symbols, and if you're reading this for the first time, or you've read it many times, but you don't know what it is, you say, what in the world is going on? A red dragon, and seven diadems, seven heads, ten horns, and the woman, the sun, the moon, the stars, what is going on? And we go, okay, I have to make this simple. And not that God's Word is simple, but it is to be understood in a simple way. We are not to make it much harder. I'm not here to bring you philosophies and overwhelming things that would just... People would go, wow! And they're wondering, what did he just say? (laughs) If you're saying that, I failed you. Because my job is to make it clear, to make it concise. That's what it is to take care of a flock, to bring forth God's Word that is tremendous and by the Holy Spirit's power, because I can't do it anyway, but by the power of the Spirit and the Word with me studying and trying to bring this forth, I want to make it as palatable as I possibly can to make it clear. The pathway up. People are planting crops now, are getting ready to. They will be, right? And they want to make those rows straight, right? And see right on down. That is my job. So, here we go. Some people say this is the Virgin Mary. I'm not going to spend any time on that. And I can see why they would say that. It's obvious. There's a baby. There's, you know, this woman. She's pregnant. Gives birth. But it's much more than that. That would be the Roman church that would uh, say that, interpret that. Probably others. Others have suggested that really this woman is a system of teaching. It's really a system of teaching. Mary uh, Baker, Glover, Patterson, Eddy, uh, Christian science, that kind of thing, said that really she was the woman. And the man-child was her teaching. That was a teaching system. And the dragon was the mortal mind. And so that's a mind science, right? Uh, Mary Baker Eddy probably knows who that dragon is now. 
but others have said this is the church. Kind of close, but I would like to get as accurate as we can here. Uh, a woman, okay, it is a symbol. There are four symbolic women in Revelation. And we won't start with the answer first, but we will see that Revelation brings forth different women in here who are symbols. Revelation 2.20, you have a woman that we should be familiar with. She is called uh, Jezebel. And in verse 20 it says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. That's a symbol. This teacher, whoever she was, was leading people into pagan idolatry. Even immorality. But it's dealing with paganism and idolatry. But he used a woman who, you know, a woman can seduce a man. So the picture is that, but it very well could have been a woman that came in teaching false teachings, false philosophies in the church at that time. If we go to chapter 17 of Revelation, we get another woman and we look at verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Okay, a harlot is a woman. A woman of prostitution. Is this the same woman? Actually, no, but we'll get into 17 later. But drop down to verse 4. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. There we get Babylon, we get the mother of all the false religions. All came and stemmed from Babylon, if you remember. The, at Babel, and they were split all over the world, and everybody took those religions with them. Uh, it went away from the truth that they had and got distorted. And so, therefore, it's false religion again, immorality. Is it one woman? Uh, actually, it's, again, it would be the false religious system. False religions. And then we get idolatry that we've been talking about. Now we're talking about another woman that's found in Revelation. That's a couple that we've seen there, and it's not favorable, is it? These are bad women that it would be representing, or whatever they are representing are evil. In chapter, uh, did I say 19? Verse 7 and 8. Here is where uh, you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His bride, that would be considered to be a woman, right? Has made herself ready. 
It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. This is God's people here. This is the church, obviously. Uh, the bride of Christ. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we get, uh, again, a, a bride. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. As Paul writes, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He's writing to Corinth, the church there. For I betrothed to you one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Again, comparing to a woman. This would be the church. So we get false, idolatrous, pagan, Paganism and religion represented there, and now we get here the church, and God uses symbolic women in Revelation. So we come to a, an interpretation here that's found in our chapter 12 that it's definitely a woman. She is with child. She is a wife of God. And all throughout the Old Testament you see that Israel is the wife of God, a disloyal wife, an unfaithful wife, an adulterous wife. But she's the wife of God. God had to divorce Israel. But one day He has said, and especially like in Hosea, He will get back with that wife and she will be pristine. So the wife of God is symbolized as a woman. Look in Isaiah 54. We'll go through a few of these Old Testament passages dealing with Israel and being the wife of uh, her husband God. Verse 5, For your husband is your Maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth, when she is rejected, says your God. So, uh, she has a husband who is her maker. The, her maker is God. God is the maker, isn't He? But she uh, left Him. And she is rejected. But there's always the promise that God brings them back. Now, God has never left the church, right? But here is this Israel. And so we go to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6. Jeremiah 3, verse 6. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill under every green tree and she was a harlot there. Again, that would be portraying a woman, right? I thought after she had done all these things, she will return to me. That's God. She's faithless, but she will come back. But she did not return 
And our treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. But she went and was a harlot also. So there you have Israel. You also have Judah. Who's he referring to Israel? It's the ten tribes that went north after Solomon. And then you have the two tribes south. And uh, of course that is grouped as Judah. And Judah did the same thing as Israel. And he keeps calling her a faithless, adulterous wife. Right? That would be the nation there. And of course in Ezekiel, oh I like 16. Ezekiel 16, uh, 32. Jeremiah then Ezekiel... You adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. He's speaking to Israel here. Unfaithful. Men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. So the woman would be the wife of God symbolized here as this woman. Israel plays a key role all throughout history and is surely seen at the time of the Great Tribulation when Christ comes back, just before Christ comes back. Now you go to Revelation 12 and it says, okay, we've seen a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and under her feet, uh, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crowd of twelve stars. So, sun, moon, stars, crown, this is what's on the woman here. And we could say, what in the world is this? Uh, is she the queen of heaven? No. We've heard that the Roman church believes that the queen of heaven actually is... The Virgin Mary. And so that's why they would portray this in all the pictures. You will see that it's Virgin Mary in those pictures. And you've seen them probably down through the years. Uh, and I've got some kind of symbol up there of a woman, but I couldn't get uh, much on it. Really, I was trying to get the stuff. I didn't draw that. or I just drew it up out of the internet. It didn't have much for me. They kept showing me Mary the Virgin. And I didn't want that one because that's not who this is. But uh, you get the idea, right? Pretty poor representation there. But, um, by the way, uh, if you turn to Joseph 37, you will get a picture here of... Sun, moon, stars. Look at uh, Israel here. It's involving Joseph, involving Jacob and his brothers, his mother and his father. Genesis 37, all the way back to Genesis 37. And this kind of brings in some of the reality of the sun and the moon, stars. And in verse 9, 
says, now this is Joseph, he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream and behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Because this is really a dream that is a prophecy. We know what happens. His brothers dump him in a pit to kill him. Just leave him there. Is this the same one that's in Revelation? Because uh, they talk about 11 stars here. In, in Revelation they talk about 12. We're right there. <laughs> I am giving this to tell you, yes it is, there are 11 other stars. Because Joseph is one of the stars. Okay. The 11 other stars, yeah. So, if that probably helps now, because are we giving it away? Because Joseph is the one who's thrown in the pit, then he winds up in Egypt. Um, start to say Egypt. Where did he go? Went to Egypt, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Wow, okay. Michael, you lost me. No. <laughs> Good question, because you see the 11, you go, oh, what's the deal? But this now makes sense, because Jacob is also who? Jacob was renamed Israel. Jacob means deceiver. God changed his name. God wrestled with him and then gave him the name Israel, which means to wrestle with. That's who Israel is. Wrestle Israel, Israel wrestled with God all throughout the ages, right? And she hangs right there and so did Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, alright? And of course, there you have Joseph, who is one of those sons. And what you're going to have here is this, you know, you have the whole idea, Joseph is going to be a leader in Egypt and saves people from starvation with his plan that is given to them. And of course, God keeps giving him revelation and dreams and such to be able to do that. And guess who comes down to Egypt? They don't know he is uh, the right-hand man of the Pharaoh. He's an Israelite who is really in a high position, but as high as you can get in the whole world. How does that happen? The sovereignty of God. And because of Him and God working through Him, He saves not only the people in Egypt, but out in nation Israel, which includes His brothers who come down there to get what amounts to food. And so He's feeding them. And then finally He reveals to them who He is. They didn't know. And he is the same one that they threw in the pit. And did you know what? What did that entire family do? They bowed to him because he was a leader of the whole world. 
How could that ever happen? How could they bow? God, whenever He gave that prophecy, wanted that to be told to them. They didn't get it for a long time, did they? And so there's Jacob, and who happens to be like the sun. The mother would be like the moon. And then you have the 11 stars besides Joseph. And that makes up the, the 12 stars there. That, that helps, Michael, right? Yeah. All right. So, the sun is glory, it's brilliance. Israel, Jacob, who's later Israel, or who is Israel at this time? And that means all the, the sons of him are considered Israel. The tribes of Israel. And all their descendants are part of that nation known as Israel. Joseph played a major role in it. And so God, whenever He did that prophecy or that dream, was much more than what this is to Joseph even at this time. It expands all the way to the nation and God saving them. The moon speaks of new moons, feasts, festivals. They're all based upon that. You have Passover coming up. What's it based on? Every year it changes the date. Well, it's based upon the moon, which is every 28 days. God gave us signs in the heavenlies. One of them is the moon. It speaks of, uh, of a covenant that God has with His people as He has these covenants made through feasts and festivals. And then the crown of stars. Twelve tribes, right? That's kind of crown is a stephanos. It's a wreath. It's a, it's a garland. It's associated with suffering and struggle. If you won a, uh, an Olympic event as a runner, for instance, you would get a Stephanos, a crown upon you, and that represented you are the victor, but you had to suffer to get there. You had to be one who was constantly working out. Um, you know, if you're in any kind of sport, a vel you know, as you have competition, to win those competitions, you have to be one who is committed to win that, right? And you have to be doing it diligently every day. If you get out of shape, you're going to lose. Everybody wants to win that crown, so they are committed to it. They really, they really do it. So the crown of stars is showing suffering and struggle it's not easy to win. You've got to continue with it. So the imagery here, what I'm concluding up to is that this is the woman Israel who also is pregnant. And we see here that she is with child in Revelation 12. She was with child and she cried out, being in labor and pain to give birth. She was depicted not only as a wife here, but a pregnant wife, a woman about to give birth. Israel is seen as a mother throughout the Old Testament because you see labor and pain and anguish. She's travailing in pain and in agony. And if you were to go to Isaiah or Hosea or Micah, you will see that there you have great or 
great pain. Agony. We all know that a pregnant woman goes through times of anguish. It's pain. And the pains mount up even more and more. So what it is down through history, as all the Israelite women knew, that there was going to be a Savior according to Genesis 3, think of 15 and 16, and you think of the one promise that would crush the head. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent or Satan. And it would be the promised one all throughout Israel's history. They looked for that. Eve looked for it to be her next son. It wasn't. And then on and on, they, they kept looking for the Messiah and of course pain and anguish throughout all the times of the judges and then the, the prophets up until the time of the Messiah until He was born. Israel suffered under many different rulers and kings who were not their own. They travailed in pain and agony and hauled off to Assyria or to Egypt, or to Babylon. And so, that's why it would be considered that they looked for a Messiah who would eventually come and destroy Satan and sin and death and bring on the promised kingdom. But yet they went through suffering like a pregnant woman does when she's ready to give birth. Now, there is part one that's the woman. So now we go to part 2, verses 3 and 4, and now it's the dragon. And what this is leading up to, we've seen the woman, right? And immediately, we, as we're watching this great scene in the theater, this is the theater that's now on earth. At this time, the enemy of the woman is the dragon. The identity of this sign, I believe, is rather easy to detect. I think everybody would say, this is the devil, this is Satan. And it says it's a red dragon, a great red Dragon. It says, another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, check this out. This is what John sees. This had to be staggering. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns on his heads were seven diadems. This is an incredible vision that John is seeing as he looks into the heavens. Staggering it is. I will tell you that red, it's, it's great. It's, it's red. Red is symbolic of blood. Symbolic of death. Who is the number one murderer? The murderer of all murderers. Satan is, right? He's the murderer. And this is the murderous attitude of the dragon. It's to bring fear upon people. So when you talk about the dragon, we're talking about a spiritual being that goes beyond just a monster, but something that is spiritual and real. 
Because a lot of people like to dismiss Satan and say it's just an attitude that people have. They have an attitude of Satan. He really doesn't exist. It's in your mind. As Mary Baker Eddy said, well, Satan is called a dragon 13 times in the book of Revelation. Prior to this, in the New Testament, he's identified as a serpent. He's identified as a serpent in Genesis, is he not? But also, we get the idea of a dragon. It's far more terrifying than a serpent. A great red dragon. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil. What have we seen so far? Serpent, devil, Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and of his angels were thrown down with him. So, dragon, serpent, devil, Satan. Dragon we talked about. Serpent we talked about. Uh, he's called the devil, Diabolos. The devil is one who misleads people. We know that he is one who slanders. That's the idea of devil. And Satan means the accuser, which is what he does every day and night. He accuses the brethren or the saints constantly. He accuses to the Father. We have an advocate, though. That's Jesus Christ. He pleads our case every time. Satan also comes down here and accuses us. He tempts us. Says, Look how beautiful this is. This would be great, wouldn't it? As soon as you do it, he says, ha, Gotcha. Look what you did now. God will never forgive you for that one. That's what he does. Wow, this, this is a great red dragon who deceives This is our enemy, folks. This is him. He's real. Look in Revelation 20, verse 2. There's no doubt of who this is as we use a symbol here. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. I think for anybody who would say that Satan is actually, it's in your mind. Or it's just a teaching. Do you see what God is saying here? He's the devil. He is Satan. He's the you know the accuser. He's the dragon. He's the serpent. What what else do you need? It's as clear as a bell. We're going right on through here and just cutting it straight, right? And God explains it here who who and what all this is about. And so we get the seven heads. What are the seven heads? Well, I venture to say that the seven kings they are represent seven worldly kingdoms all from the beginning to the end. I can think of the Assyrian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, the Rome or the uh, the, the Babylonian, the Medes, Persians, the Greeks the Romans, and there's one to come. We'll speak about that when we get to chapter 17 after the trumpet is blown as we pick that up and move on a little bit. 
Um, but we'll look at 17.9 just for a moment, and we are not going to comment really anything on it. We'll just show you that here again. This shows up. 17.9, here is the mind which has wisdom. He tells us, it's the heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must remain a little while. Seven kings that Satan has used as far as great empires. History will tell you about these seven, or actually maybe six, five, five six empires. Um, and of course, five have fallen. Syrians, Egyptians, Babylonians, the Medes, the Greeks. And then he says one is, that was the Roman Empire while John was writing this. And then there is a seventh, which is one to come at the very end, which will last for just a little while. Does that make some sense? Historically, you can see that. We could go back and look back in the book of Daniel and see that dream that's interpreted and then look through history and see that that's it. And so that should make it clear cut there. We'll be in 17, you know, and a few messages down the line here. So, uh, ten horns. What's ten horns? Well, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Um, in Daniel 7, 7, Daniel had a lot to say about these kind of things that happened for many chapters. I said 7, 7, right? Make it easy. Yeah, right. We'll probably move from this really quick. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. We go to uh, 7 verse 20. And it says, And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boast and which was larger in appearance than associates with. So that this is, he's comparing it with a beast and such, and, but yet how many does it have? It's, it's you know, we're talking about Horns, ten horns that he mentions. A final form of world rule. It's an imagery of ten kings at the very last kingdom that there is. In the seventh, there are ten kings in that. Satan really is dominating the whole world. How does he rule? He rules through kings and leaders. Down through history, we usually see bad kings, evil. They have pride. They love power. They take advantage of it, especially if they are an empire. So here you have uh, ten kings in the form of a world rule. They will rule the world. But it's all underneath Antichrist and then ultimately it's really under the veil of who? Satan. 
Now, um, and he, he, so really, ultimately, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against forces, against powers, against the evil lurking of Satan and the demons. That's really what's happening. Kings are just pawns in God's hands, ultimately, and in Satan's hands. And He blinds them. And they do crazy things that don't make any sense. And they kill people by the millions. Especially the ones who believe in God. That's the way it usually operates. Okay, Satan has unleashed an onslaught on God's people throughout the ages. Satan has through all the centuries operated through the world system. That's how it gets to God now. He has used every hellish effort that he can think of. And he will continue with that until Christ comes back. He loves to inflict pain. He loves to bring on suffering and death to God's people. And so he does that rather well. He will do it to the woman here. And because it says that he, when she gives birth, he wants to devour her child, and starts with who? Starts with the Messiah, but God's people. Before Messiah, remember that he tried to destroy Israel in many, many ways. And to save time, I have a lot of scripture that is put down in your outline. I will briefly <laughs> cover what these are. It started, of course, with Satan's fall. And you think of Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, you'll see the fall of Satan. He was a prideful angel at that time. Angel of light. And of course, he took a third of the angels with him. Because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped God. He was the leader of all the worshipping angels. And so it started there, but he brought it to earth because how can he best get at God? Get at God's people. And, of course, we know about Genesis 3. We know about the temptation that he brought to Adam and Eve. Sin comes on and the earth is cursed. We no longer have the dominion. It was taken over by Satan. He did it rather very quick, didn't he? And then you have the children of Adam and Eve, a couple of them being Cain and Abel. Cain slays Abel. We know there's a godly line. But don't worry, God will preserve that line. Look in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. And even though it's Old Testament, we can just turn back like a couple of books here real immediately and see what John has to say about this subject in verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother... And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Satan blinds the minds of the world and Abel is the righteous one. 
Cain is of the devil's world. He's of that line. And so we go to Genesis 6. The world was so evil at that time that God had to send a flood. And there were evil things that were going on. And guess who was bringing on this kind of evil? And even the demons had a lot to do with that. To destroy it with the flood. In Exodus 1, 8 and 9, it talks about Egypt having Israel in their land. And they get scared because their numbers are bigger than the Egyptians now. As they multiply big families, they were blessed by God. And so the Egyptians finally have to come up with different ways to stop it. First of all, you know, what we need to do is keep the, you know, just kill what? The male babies. Well, the, what is it, the, the, the maidservants or the midwives. midwives were the ones who delivered the babies and they're into life, you know, they're pro-lifers. <laughs> they're just going to bring themselves to that. So it's like, you know, hey, we just need to, and they bring Israel, you know, they're, they're in a bondage and everything. Of course, see, they could have slain all of the Israelites. And that was kind of what the program was about, ultimately. Use them for slaves, but listen. We, you know, and and of course they could have killed Moses, the lawgiver, who is the progenitor, uh, the the picture of Christ to come. And so, we we get that story. There's Satan working in all of that. Uh, Move ahead, you've got Jacob and Esau. And, of course, there was a battle there between the two brothers. Esau could very well have killed Jacob. God intervenes. It's Jacob. Jacob is coming from, you know, that is Israel. And the Messiah is promised through Israel, right? And, of course, you get Joseph. And then later on you get David, King David. Guess who tries to kill David? Time after time after time after time, Satan and the demons possess him and he tries to kill David and he can't get the job done because the Messiah is to come through David. That's the Davidic covenant. So it's Israel and it's also through the Davidic line, uh, tribe of Judah. Uh, Esther and Haman, you get that story, right? And of course, there uh, they wanted to kill all the Israelites at that time. And Esther was brought on for such a time as this. Satan hates the woman Israel. It's obvious down through history it was constantly that way. Satan kept trying to get men and certain plans that he had to kill this before the Messiah shows up. And then you, it got down to, and I don't have the time, I wish I could, it's a message in itself. In Second Chronicles, I have it in your outlines and I think I have it in bold. Look it up today if you want to. Second Chronicles 21, 1-7, all the way through chapter 22, verse 12. We're just talking about a chapter, basically. And it's about one little baby that comes to be saved because there was a messianic line. And it got down to all the ones who were in the messianic line were killed and they were slain on purpose. 
And it got down to a baby. And it happened twice, believe it or not. And the baby was supposed to be killed, but that didn't happen. The baby was hidden. And if that would have been the case, all messianic hope would have died because the line has to go through this kingly line and God keeps the baby alive. And that was one person away from being extinct, cut off. God's Word is always true. God is sovereign. Satan's desire was to exterminate the woman, exterminate the line of Messiah. Do you see how often he tried? All the way back to tempting Adam and Eve to the murders and everything that he did. And we know about his rebellion, what kind of a person that he is. He has all these efforts. He wants to wipe out the line to wipe out and then eventually to destroy the child. And as it says here, she, uh, dragon stood before the woman. Okay? Uh, at the end, uh, middle of verse 4, who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So now he couldn't destroy the line, couldn't destroy Israel, and so, he wants to devour the child. That is Messiah. That's Christ Himself. And we know that the first one that tried to destroy Him after He was born was who? Herod. Because in Matthew 2.13, we see that the Gospel writer Matthew even reports what Herod was doing. And there's Satan using another leader, right? 13, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And so there's again a you know, picture of Joseph going to Egypt. Which, remember Joseph? <laughs> Who went to Egypt and kept that line going. Anyway, incredible story. Um, I will tell you that it goes on. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and Satan said, jump from this precipice. Show them your God and what you can do. Well, he was hoping that maybe he'd jump and just die from that long leap. Uh, of course, Jesus did not go to that temptation. Satan was telling him, hey, listen, if you're really, that, if you're really God, you, know, you, you won't have any trouble and you'll be lifted up on His wings and such. And then when Jesus starts His ministry, He's in Nazareth. And he starts preaching the message out of Isaiah. And he's telling that this day has been fulfilled. And that he's the Messiah. And they must trust in him. And he is the one. And he talks about other countries were around. And God would save some of them. And there would be people in Israel who wouldn't be saved. And that made them angry. Satan works in them. They take him outside the synagogue, put him at the top of a hill that could have killed him. And they wanted to push him off, and he just disappeared. 
It wasn't time. That was the first of his ministry. Guess who was leading the pack on this? Satan is there all the time. Trying to get him killed. Have his own people from Nazareth kill him. Can you believe this, folks? This has gone on for thousands and thousands of years. This went on before the foundation of the world, or at least back to the time of Satan's fall. Better put it that way, right? The woman is being attacked. She's still suffering. Well, even at this time, or close to this time, you had France and Germany who blamed the Jews for the Black Plague so that people would torture them and treat them horribly. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? You know that one. At that same time, Spain kicked all the Jews out of the nation of Spain. All over Europe, nations kicked out the Jews. For what reason? Ultimately, it doesn't make any sense because they bring intelligence and quite the gift to every place they go. But they bring on curse when they're kicked out as God promised. And that does happen. Well, in 18... It was the Roman Catholic Inquisition, if you might remember that. And uh, somewhere during the time of even the Protestant Reformation, the, the Roman Catholic Inquisition slaughtered Jews by the thousands. And, matter of fact, couldn't even count them all. Uh, massacred in the name of Christ in 1882. You know, that's uh, some of that, that continued. And then the Russians committed atrocities in the massacres of Jews. And then in 1894 was the infamous Dreyfus Affair, an effort to blame Jews for every national problem to get them out of ranking, uh, dealing out of the military. High places they had. Then came Hitler, of course. Everybody knows about the six million Jews massacred there. <laughs> there are people today that will deny that. And now it's the Arabs and the rest of the world who want to kill all the Jews. The Muslims want to wipe off the Jews from the face of the earth. So it's happened all through biblical history and all the way up to our time and right on into the future. And now we come to the child. This is the Son of Man. He's in the very sense. The Son of the Woman. The tribe of Judah. The star and scepter of Jacob. The descendant of David. And there would be one born of the virgin. Isaiah 7.14 In Psalm 2.9 it talks about the rod of iron. He will rule with a rod of iron. Revelation 2 says, Psalm 2 says that the Messiah has the rod of iron. He will rule. Do you know what the word for rule is? This is great, folks. Rule here sounds like, right? Well, it can be that, but I will tell you the word is poimeno. And you're still going, huh? And it means this, shepherd. Interpreted in the New Testament, Pastor. Christ is our head pastor, isn't He? He's our head shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. When you think of a shepherd, you think of pastoring, giving guidance, uh, feeding, leading, guarding. That's the tender side of His poiman rule of rod of iron. It sounds like two opposites. It's not. But all the ones who do not obey Him, who do not trust in Him, or, you know, disobey, boom, He will discipline. 
He will punish. So, a resolute rule that He has. And then we see in Revelation, she gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to His throne. So we get, and I haven't been moving this, I'm sorry. But incarnation, right? He became in the flesh. Then He was coronated as King. I'm going through this very rapidly now. And then He ascended to heaven. He will be here born of Israel. We know it's Mary that gave birth, but this is all coming from this line of, of Israel. He'd be, it's what He was. He was Jewish. And it, but the incarnation is He's God and He's man. He rules. Uh, he will rule ultimately, really is what it's about. He ascends to heaven. He will come back and then be that king. That's the idea. He's the exalted one. He's the coronated one. He's the one who's born and has redemption. And Israel has been tried to be wiped out by Satan. Millions of them are martyred during the tribulation. They're still being killed all the way up to that time. So we've covered five verses. In five verses, we've come from eternity past all the way now up to verse 6, which is dealing... or. The tribulation, great tribulation, and then we will see this. Uh, we will look what happens during that time period. That's the idea here. Eternity past to the fall of Satan, and all the way to verse six, which speaks of uh, again another fall to the to, right to the very end of the tribulation here. Um, I've got to do one verse here quickly and cover better part of it next time. Women, the woman fled into the wilderness. There's a different time period that happens because she had a place prepared by God that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. She's, he's caught up to God and to the throne. The male child is. Well, Israel was scattered and they are. They've been scattered all over the world. No doubt about that. But we're talking about a specific time period where you see three and a half months, you see 1,260 days, you see, uh, what, three and a half years, you have seven years tribulation, great tribulation. It's given in months, it's given in days, that time period, that is the idea. And Satan is going to come after the woman during the time of tribulation. Even before that, we've seen all three histories done that, but... The Lord is going to hide her. In Matthew 24, at this time, we see that He says, after there is the abomination of desolation, Satan coming into the temple, into the, like sitting on the throne, standing in the holy place. Uh, verse 16, Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. If you don't, if you have your cloak, cloak or not, grab it, but don't go to the house. Get out. Leave now. You've got to go. Well, here we have the woman fleeing into the wilderness. They're going to have to run. After the desecration of the Holy of Holies, I will tell you this. What wilderness? Well, most likely the wilderness always has been to them to Israel, which is down south, Dead Sea area, across the river, 
or across from the Dead Sea and then across from the Jordan River, you have Moab, you have Ammon and Edom. And that is where they very likely will go. Just east over the Jordan River, around the southern tip of the Dead Sea, and you can say, well, how do you know that? And we go to Daniel chapter 11, 41, and then we're going to close it out. I'm going to only have one closing, I promise. 11, 41 says, He will also enter the beautiful land. This is the, the context of Christ, or Antichrist. And many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of His hand. Who's the these? Who will be protected and take it where Antichrist can't get to them? Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he'll go out and stretch out his hand against other countries, land of Egypt and stuff. But Moab, Edom, and Ammon is very possibly the place where they could be hidden out in the wilderness. If you remember what happened to David, he was on the run from Saul. Well, here's the nation of Israel and the ones who are gods that he has chosen. Maybe some are not believers yet, but they're chosen. He's going to protect them in what could be a place called Petra, which is in Edom. Petra, the rose-red city of the dead down in Edom. And there's, only, there's an opening in this place, and it's an opening that's so small, only one person at a time can get through. But when you get in that narrow place, there's a whole massive city carved out of the rock. A great place that could be hidden. And a lot of people think it could be that. Um, they're nourished for three and a half years. God protects, takes care of His own. It's time to end. I should have kept verse 6 for next week, but I wanted to take you all the way back up to where we have been. It's back to the tribulation time. Did you see where we started? The fall of Satan... And then, or actually with the woman, and then the fall of Satan, which takes us all the way back and through history. We swept through thousands of years. And what I want to tell you is, what can I get out of this in application? Do you see that Satan would love to destroy you? And he can't get to you. How can he not get to Moab, Ammon, and Edom? I don't know. But God keeps His people. How does He not get to our souls, Satan? Because we're protected. We are in the fortress of God. And so in some miraculous, supernatural way, He has always done that to people in Israel. All the ones who were elect in Israel, all to the ones who are elect even today, they're all the same. They're believers. He protects, He takes care of them no matter what's going on around us, folks. I see this and I go, what we just saw, what how Satan tried to destroy Israel, tried to destroy the Messiah, has tried to destroy the church, all God's people, and He cannot. Praise God. And that deserves a praise God, doesn't it? So this is another one of good news. And just after it said He will reign forever and ever, we see such a battle and a war of the ages. It's Star Wars, folks. It's going on right now. And at one time, it'll even be worse than ever. But here we stand in Christ saying, Thank You, Lord, for we know the back of the book 
We win because God wins. He reigns forever. Dear Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Triune God, You keep us, You protect us, You watch over us. You protected the baby, baby Jesus. And obviously, that was going to happen. The Satan has never defeated you. The dragon, as fierce as he is, Lord, is a created being. And you do whatever you want with him. And uh, Lord, we have everything to combat the devil ourselves. We have everything that we need to live in a godly way pertaining to life and godliness. You have gifted us with defeating the devil every time. Through the Holy Spirit, through Your Word, Lord, help us to be the soldiers that we need to be and that we win those battles that You're fighting for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No more closings. The closing is over. <laughs>